0: welcome to this episode of the greenville oaks message broadcast the mission of the greenville oaks church is to inspire people to follow jesus because we're convinced that following jesus is the best way of life possible find out more about greenville oaks at Greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media we would love it if you could rate and review our podcast it makes it easier for others to find us and now on to this week's message with lead minister wade hodges Hello, welcome to everyone watching, listening online, but also to everyone gathered in this space. I'm so glad that we can be together in this way. If if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, and we will get right into this thing. We will actually start at the end of the story, at the end of Acts chapter 7, picking it up in verse 54, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How do you preach a sermon about a sermon that got the original preacher killed? The answer is very carefully, and you stall for as long as possible. So let's backtrack to Acts chapter 6, where we find the early church in Jerusalem is facing an organizational crisis. One group of widows is claiming that another group of widows is receiving preferential treatment in the distribution of food. It's favoritism. It's unfair, they say. The apostles respond to this problem with this solution. They appoint seven trustworthy servants to oversee the distribution of food, making sure all the widows in the church in Jerusalem are treated fairly. And one of those servants is Stephen, who we just read about, which means he's not only a trustworthy administrator, but he's more than that. He's he's a powerful preacher. Luke tells us he performed signs and wonders. He's the kind of preacher that could attract a crowd of people, which also means he attracted opposition. And his opponents could not refute his arguments about Jesus. And when they realized they could not out-debate him, they started spreading lies about him. Finally, hauling him into the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Jerusalem for Jewish legal and religious matters. And in chapter 6, verse 13, Luke tells us that They produced false witnesses who testified about him. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So they make two basic charges against him. He's speaking against this holy place, the temple in Jerusalem, and he's speaking against the law of Moses, which defines our very way of life as the people of God. And the Sanhedrin has to take these two charges seriously because there were three key markers of Israel's identity there was the law of Moses, there was the promise or the Holy Land, and there was the temple. Land, law, temple, or law, land, temple. These were the three identity markers for ancient Israel. And when they bring these charges against Stephen, they're saying he's attacking the very core of our identity as the people of God. And Stephen responds to these charges with the longest speech or sermon in the book of Acts. I find that significant. If nothing else, it tells me the longer the sermon, the more likely it ends with someone throwing something at the preacher. So get to the point, which is what I'm about to do. So my goal today is to trace Stephen's argument that he makes in this sermon to help us better understand what is, he, what is it that he said that got him in so much trouble? And because it's such a long sermon, not going to read every word of it, I'm going to summarize it, but I do invite you to read it on your own and check up on my summary. Because Stephen's sermon itself is a summary of a much longer, more complicated story or history of Israel that we read about in the Hebrew Scriptures. He starts with Abraham. Abraham how God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. And there, God makes a promise to Abraham, promising Abraham and his family the land upon which they now stand and where the temple is built. And from Abraham, Stephen moves very quickly to Isaac and then to Jacob, and then he lands on Joseph and stays there for a bit. And he tells of how Joseph was rejected and opposed by his jealous brothers and how God was with Joseph when his brother sold him into slavery in Egypt and how God blessed Joseph in Egypt so that Joseph could then be a blessing to his family during a famine. And then he moves on to Moses. Moses was born a Hebrew slave in Egypt, but raised an Egyptian prince. And when he grew up, Moses Attempted to be Israel's savior And the Hebrew slaves rejected him And so he fled to Midian And then years later God appeared to Moses in Midian On Mount Sinai At the burning bush And there God called that chunk of ground Far from the promised land Holy And then God sends Moses back to Egypt And Moses you know the story, leads the Israelites to freedom. And through Moses, God delivers the law, even though the Israelites continue to rebel against Moses' leadership. And their rebellion culminates, Stephen says, in the building of an idol in the form of a golden calf. And in chapter 7, verse 41, He says, after they built the calf, they reveled in what their own hands had made. And he uses this phrase, I think, to set up one of his major points in the sermon. Because from here, he moves very quickly to the building of the temple in Jerusalem. It's at this point, he moves from preaching to meddling. Because in verse 48, He says, the Most High, speaking of the temple, does not live in houses made by human hands. Yes, you're reading that right. You're hearing that right. Stephen links the building of the temple, one of Israel's sacred objects, sacred symbols, with the making of the golden calf both made by human hands. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah to make the point that the temple is not, nor has it ever been as important to God as it is to the people. They've placed far more emphasis and importance on the temple than God ever did, ever has, ever wanted to. And it's not that the temple was inherently bad. It had the potential to be a good thing that allowed God's people to connect with God. We see in Acts, the apostles and the first Christians continue to go to the temple to worship God. It was useful to them, helpful to them. The problem with the temple was that instead of being a good thing that could help the people connect with God, the people, especially the religious leaders and the religious establishment in Jerusalem, they made it the thing. Not a good thing, but the thing. It became for them an idol, Stephen says, an object made by human hands that takes the place of God. And now comes the altar call. Stephen says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? You even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. So Stephen essentially says, just like your ancestors, you always seem to be out of step with what God is doing among you. Your God has always been on the move, always on the move, never confined to a specific chunk of ground, Never confined to a particular building on that ground. He's already traced God was with Abraham in Mesopotamia. He was with Joseph in Egypt. He was with Moses in Midian. He was with Israel wandering through the wilderness. He summarizes Israel's story in a way that reminds them that your God has always been on the move, always on the move and therefore cannot be confined or put in a box, even if that box is a temple in Jerusalem. He says, you're accusing me? Breaking, speaking against the law of Moses? He says, you're the ones who's breaking the law. Because all you ever do is oppose those prophets who come and challenge your idolatry. All you ever do is refuse to keep in step with the next move of God. And then he says, you've missed God's biggest move yet. You rejected Jesus. You missed out on the son of God. And then as their anger is building, Stephen sees that curtain separating heaven and earth open And he sees Jesus there standing, not sitting, but standing in approval of what he's saying. And when he tells them what he sees, they pick up their rocks and they kill him. If someone calls you stiff-necked and hard-hearted, and you respond by killing him, you've made his point for him. You're proving him right. He's dead, but he's right. Now, at this point, this message can go in one of two directions. I can talk about how we can become more like Stephen who's very much resembles Jesus in this story, even forgiving those who are killing him. I can talk about how we can become more like Stephen, or I can talk about how we can keep from becoming the kind of people who would kill someone like Stephen. Because it was religious people who killed him. We can become more like Stephen, or we can keep from becoming like those who kill Stephen. I guess it's a choice between how to get stoned and how to keep from being a stoner. what? Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, I'm going with the second option. Several weeks ago, I referenced the book Being Wrong by Katherine Schultz. This book has been very helpful to me over the years, and one of the reasons is in it, she identifies three assumptions we tend to make when someone disagrees with us, especially about something that we think is really important. If you disagree with me about something that is important to me, my first assumption is that you are ignorant. Therefore, let me give you some information. Let me send you an article. Let me share a link. You just need more info. Then you'll agree with me. But then after I share that information with you, and if you still disagree with me, well, then I assume you must not be very smart. You didn't understand the information I shared with you. But then as we continue the dialogue, I realize you did understand it. You have the information. You understand what it says, and you still disagree with me. Well, that leaves only one final explanation, and that is you must be evil. There can be no other option. Now, the problem with all three of these assumptions is that Who's to say I'm always the right one? Who's to say I'm right? What if I'm the one who needs more information? What if I'm the one who has trouble comprehending the truth? What if I'm the one who is unknowingly in league with the forces of darkness? Stephen and the disciples in Jerusalem are a threat to the religious establishment because they are offering an alternative interpretation of how God is keeping God's promises to Israel. The religious establishment in Jerusalem says that it's the law, the land, and the temple that are central to God's promises. It was also central to their power structure. It's the law, the land, and the temple that are central. And Stephen, the other disciples in Jerusalem say, no, it's the risen and exalted Christ who is now central to God's promises. It's the risen and exalted Christ who is the key to everything God has ever done and will ever do. It is the risen and exalted Christ that makes everything else, no matter how sacred you once considered it to be, secondary, including the law, the land, and the temple. And Stephen, bold, powerful preacher that he is, pushes this point so far that those religious people in Jerusalem felt they had no other option but to eliminate the evil from their midst. So how do we keep from becoming the kind of people who would pick up a rock, figuratively speaking, of course, when someone challenges our faith or says something we disagree with about something sacred or vitally important to us? Well, the answer, at least a big part of the answer, it's more complicated than I can share in one message, but... A big part of the answer is we always have to be careful not to build our identity upon or anchor our faith in anything other than the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We always have to be careful not to build our identity upon or anchor our faith in anything other than Jesus Christ. And that anything other, that can be a chunk of ground. It can be a building. It can be a special room within a building. It can be a list of rules, written or unwritten, that everyone must follow in order to stay right with this community. It can be traditions and symbols that have been passed down through the generations. It can be a program or ministry that changed your life 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And because it had such a huge impact on your life back then, we always have to do it, no matter what. It can be a political ideology or party or platform. Now, I can be even more specific, but Unlike Stephen, I'd like to survive the preaching of this sermon. (laughs) But whenever we begin to build our identity upon or anchor our faith in something other than Jesus Christ, that other thing, even though it may be a good thing from God, that other thing becomes an idol. A false god that we can manage and control that we can put in a box, maybe the box of our understanding, the box of our tradition, the box of our comfort zone, the box of our personal preference, the box of our power structure. And then when you come along and you attack my faith, you attack my identity, by attacking my idol, by suggesting that God is bigger than the box, that God is moving outside of the box, ultimately, I conclude you are evil. And because you're evil, I can now attack you. I can call you names. I can spread lies about you. I can say mean things about you on social media. God forbid I could respond violently to you, all of which... These responses are inappropriate and unacceptable for followers of Jesus Christ who call him Lord. And maybe there's a deeper question lurking in this story. Because if God is always on the move and if God can't be put in a box, then how do we make sure that we don't miss God's next move? Like, those Stephen addresses in his sermon. How do we make sure we don't miss God's next move? So never assume God's mission only moves forward in one way, because when we make that assumption, we then assume that that one way just happens to be the way we do it and the way we've always done it, the way we're always going to do it. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what we're doing here at Greenville Oaks. I'm not going to unveil changes that I hope to make in our church. This sermon is not a setup for something else. What I'm trying to do in this sermon, though, is use Stephen's sermon to remind us to resist the temptation to make good things into false gods. And instead, build our identity on Jesus Christ. Anchor our faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus doesn't change. Everything else in the world changes. Everything else changes. And if we anchor our faith in or build our identity upon something that changes, we're always going to feel like our faith and our identity are under attack or being threatened. But Jesus doesn't change. Our understanding of Jesus changes. It grows, it expands, it gets deeper the longer we follow him. But Jesus, the resurrected and ascended Jesus, doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change, but he does move. Jesus doesn't change, but he moves. And the way of life he calls us into is a movement. The story of early Christianity, Luke tells in the book of Acts, is the story of a movement. Jesus doesn't change. You can build your life, your identity, your faith on him. But he's always on the move. So may we fix our eyes and tune our ears and set our hearts on Jesus so that we're always ready to follow wherever he leads so that we're always ready for God's next move no matter how unexpected how amazing how unimaginable it may be please stand and read the benediction out loud with me from Ephesians 3 Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus, because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.